Hi, my name is Mike Herbster. I'm privileged to be the director of Southland Christian Camp Ministries. For over 25 years, Southland has centered itself around the ministry of preaching. We believe that God uses the foolishness of preaching to convict hearts and transform lives. Our prayer is that today's sermon would push you to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you listen, would you carefully evaluate your life in light of God's Word and take the appropriate action to grow in your walk with Him? We hope that you will enjoy today's message. I love Brother Mike and his family, uh, but they have one of the greatest camp staffs in America. And I'm serious about that. Every year, I'm just so impressed by the spirit of them and the hard work. I know some of them are a little tired. They're in the home stretch. This is the next to last week. Is that right? And you're almost there. Hold on just a little longer. But you sound great tonight and uh, been a great blessing to me. It's great to see all of you. How many of you are brand new to camp this year? Any camp anywhere? Would you raise your hand, please? Keep it up just a second. Very good. How many of you are brand new to this camp? Would you raise your hand? Never been to Southland before? Well, I want you to know you're in one of the greatest youth camps in America, and I mean that. And uh, you're going to have a great week, and we're praying God will speak to all of us. I'm thrilled to get to be with you for a portion of it. And then at the end of the week, the Pope is coming to town, and that'll be really good. You didn't know the Pope came to Baptist Youth Camps, did you? But you're going to enjoy him. And it's going to be a great week. And anything that I can do to help you while I'm here, I want to do it. And I want to apologize in advance for anything that I may say tonight uh, that it does not make sense. Uh, I left my hotel 26 hours ago in Sydney, Australia, and uh, just landed a few minutes ago, and I'm a little jet-lagged. And so, uh, how many of you are tired? Would you raise your hand, please? Oh, good. I'm in good company. That's good. Well, let's do this. Everybody together, put your right arm right in front of you. Everyone on your right arm, jab the person to your right as hard as you can. Put your left arm in front of you and jab the person to your left and tell them to wake up. It's preaching time, all right? And if the preacher falls asleep tonight, you can throw something at me, all right? Because uh, if I fall asleep, right, uh, I want to try to uh, make sense to you tonight. I want you to try to stay with me as much as possible. Uh, we had an amazing conference in uh, Sydney this past week with young adults. Uh, they came from all over Australia, and as a matter of fact, uh, we saw some real miraculous things happen. I may tell you about some of them this week. And uh, it was greatly encouraging to me to go halfway around the world to a place, to a group of people at least, that I'd never been with before, and to see the same God working in that place that's working in this place. The Lord's not bound by geography. He's not bound by circumstance. He's not bound by anything but our unbelief. And that's why I love the theme of the camp this year and this week, and I'm praying God will increase all of our faith. As a matter of fact, I believe God has led me Today, tomorrow, and Wednesday, the time that I get to be with you to deal with one Bible character in all the, all the main sessions, one Bible character. And he's given four chapters in the Old Testament, 96 verses to this one man, and he's only mentioned one time in the New Testament. And interestingly enough, the only time he's mentioned in the New Testament is in the great hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. And I would suggest he is the one most out-of-place person in the faith chapter. As a matter of fact, if I had to pick a guy and say, how on earth did he make it in the faith chapter? This would be the guy. Now, before the week is done, you're going to understand why he's there, and we're going to learn some things from his life, but tonight, I want to lay a little groundwork for that. So before I take you in the scriptures where I'm going, let me have a little exercise with you. This is dangerous, but I'm going to let you help me preach, all right? I'm going to shout a name. When I say the name, I want you to say the next thing that comes to your mind. I hope it's spiritual, all right? I'm going to say the name. You say the next thing that comes to your mind. Ready? Here we go. Ready? Samson. I heard three things. I heard strong man. That's what most people think of, immediately the strongest man in the Bible. I heard long hair. Somebody said long hair or beautiful hair, whatever it was they said. And I heard Delilah. You know, it's interesting that people get remembered for their greatest successes and their greatest failures. For example, if I say David's name, David and 
one of two things. Either Goliath or Bathsheba comes to mind. His greatest success and his greatest failure. Listen to me, please. When you think of Samson, you think of his hair and his strength. That's his greatest success. But on the other hand, you think of Delilah. It's his greatest failure. Now, what people may know about you are your great successes and your great failures, but listen to me with your heart for just a moment. God knows everything about you. See, people get remembered for a handful of days in life, the extraordinary days. I've had some extraordinary days. Uh, the day that I got saved, that was an extraordinary day. The day God called me to be a preacher, We'll tell you about it. That was an extraordinary day. Now, the day my wife and I got married, Friday the 13th, the luckiest Friday the 13th of my life, that was an extraordinary day. Now, the day each of our children was born, they're 19, 17, and 14 now, but uh, the day each of them was born, those were extraordinary days. But let me just be honest with you. As a 42-year-old man, I've come to realize that most of life is not made up of extraordinary days. Most of life is made up of lots of ordinary days. People are remembered for their extraordinary days, but they are made on their ordinary days. You don't become what you're going to become when you get old. You are becoming it right now. On the count of three, shout out your current age. One, two, three. Good. Now I want you to add 30 to it real quick. Use your fingers, your toes, your calculator. Add 30 to it. Hurry, hurry, hurry. On the count of three, shout out your new age. One, two, three. You're going to be old. That's what you're going to be. And you may say to me, man, I got lots of time. No, you don't. No, because what you're going to find, like I'm finding out, is that very quickly you turn around and you're getting gray hair. You turn around and you look in the mirror and you say, I'm becoming my dad. What's wrong with me? The season of your life's not going to last forever. It's a funny thing. But when I think of Samson, I think of Samson older, later in life as a full-grown, strong man making decisions, and yet in studying his life over the last few weeks, for me personally, I've been learning some things about Samson, and one of the things that I've learned is that all of that did not start later in life. It started in the early days. As a matter of fact, the great things start in the early days, and sins of a lifetime start in the early days. See, some of you right now, you're playing games playing games with church and playing games with God and playing games with your Christianity because here's your reasoning. Your reasoning is I got lots of time to take care of all that so I'm going to just enjoy this season and do what I want to and then someday I'm going to become the person that God wants me to be. Let me just tell you. If you're waiting to graduate high school or go to a Christian college or marry the right person or a lightning bolt from heaven shocks you and shazam you become this great Christian that day is never going to come. Now you are becoming today and every day the person you're going to become. With that in mind, I want you to open your Bible with me to the book of Judges in the Old Testament. And I want you to come to one chapter tonight. It is the early chapter of Samson's life. It is the chapter that covers his youth. It is Judges chapter number 13. And I want us to read the opening verses and the closing verses because like bookmarks on the chapter, it gives you a pretty good photograph, if you will, of the early days of Samson's life. Look at Judges chapter 13, verse number 1. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines 40 years. Stop, lift your head and look at me just a minute. It was a wicked world and it was a needy nation. But you hear me, please. That's the very time when God wants to use people. See, everywhere I go, I'm meeting people who are saying, well, you know, America's so bad, the world's so far gone, that I don't think we can make a difference. You missed the point. It's in the midst of the darkness that the light shines. And it was at this moment in history, under Philistine oppression and rule, Samson is born. Look at verse number two, and there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink. 
and eat not any unclean thing, for lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. By the way, if you go back up to verse number one, you'll see that the Philistines ruled 40 years. Samson's period of serving the Lord was only 20 years. That's significant. I've often wondered if God's intent wasn't that Samson would have been used of him during that entire period, but watch this, please. Samson's opportunity was cut short by his disobedience. In fact, he goes exactly to the halfway mark. And may I just say tonight, we got a lot of halfway Christians. We got a lot of halfway committed people. You know, I mean, they're kind of in, kind of out. Kind of on, kind of off, kind of up, kind of down. Look at me, please. That's not the young person that's going to make a difference in their nation. Come to the end of the chapter. Look at verse 24. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew... I love this. And the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtal. What you've just read in Judges chapter 13 is not the story of Delilah. It's not the story of him taking the jawbone of a donkey and killing a thousand men. We'll come to that. It's not the story of him finding honey in the lion. It's not the story of God's miraculous provision of water for him. It is the story that seems almost insignificant. But look at me, please. Nothing in your life is insignificant if God puts it there. And in fact, it was in the early days that God was setting things in motion. You ever line up a bunch of dominoes, knock the first one down, watch the chain reaction, watch this, please. May I say to you, in Judges chapter 13, God was setting some things in motion for the rest of Samson's life. Do you know why you're here tonight? You say, yeah, I'm here because my parents made me go to camp. I'm here because somebody paid my way. I'm here because the youth director wouldn't get off my back. I'm here because the pastor said I had to go. I'm here because my friends were going. I'm here hoping to meet my life's mate. I don't know why you're here. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because in the good providence of God, God wants you to begin to give your life to him, not later, excuse me, not later, but right now. That's why the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, wrote, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not. It's why Moses, who wrote the oldest psalm in the Bible, Psalm 90, prayed this, Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. You know what everybody wants? Everybody wants all their days to be good. But I'm going to tell you, there's a divine order. You can't have all your days good if God doesn't give you that mercy early in life. And if you don't give yourself to him early in life, we're living in a world today where everybody wants the product and nobody wants the process. Now go back to that 30 years just a minute. 30 years from right now, what kind of life you want? Oh, wait a minute, don't, don't say anything. Just, just think for a moment. I'm being serious. I'm not trying to be funny. 30 years from right now, what kind of marriage would you like to have? 30 years from right now, who would you like to be spending your life with? What kind of person? 30 years from right now, what would you like your children to be doing? When you go to bed at night, you want to go to bed with regret or peace? And when you get up in the morning, do you want a reason to live or you want to be absolutely miserable? You see, look, you don't make that decision 30 years from now. You begin making that decision right now. This week marks the 30-year anniversary of God calling me to preach. I was sitting back there thinking about it before I got up. I was figuring it up Saturday this week. I think that's the 27th. July the 27th, 1989, it was the first time I ever went to summer youth camp. I was 12. 
I said to you that you're in one of the greatest camps in America, and that's true. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, the great place is the place where God meets you. Because the camp I went to was nowhere near this camp. As a matter of fact, they had one building. One. We did everything in that building. The guys lived on one side, girls lived on another, and there was a common area in the middle where we ate and had our services. When I think about it, I don't know why anybody went to that youth camp. They had one ball field behind the building, and there was no grass on it. <laughs> Just dirt. It's kind of pathetic when you think about it. But that's where God met me. See, the truth of the matter is, you can go to Disney World and have the greatest time of your life, but if you miss God, you've missed everything. Or you can go to the middle of the wilderness, and God can show up in a burning bush, speak to you. That's what he did for me. It was Thursday night. The man who preached that night, I could tell you his name, but you wouldn't know him. He's not a nationally known preacher, <clears throat> but he preached like a wild man. He jumped up and down, hollered and screamed, stomped, snorted, spit all over the first three rows. I mean, he preached. I still don't remember a single thing he said. What I remember is that night I heard another voice. I'm not trying to be spooky or mystical. I'm just telling you, God spoke to me that night. I know God got my attention. That night I was seated by myself in the farthest, darkest corner of that building. They took us in the evening down to a church building and lots of other outside people came in for the meetings and that's where we were. I was seated under the balcony in a chair all by myself that night. And that night God started speaking to me, dealing with me about yielding my life to serve him. I remember arguing with God. That's not an argument you'll ever win. I remember trying to debate with the Lord and watching other people getting right with God and surrendering their life to the Lord, and they seemed so happy about it, and I was absolutely sick, miserable. Finally, I thought to myself, man, you're going to live the rest of your life this miserable? This is terrible. And I remember I took one step. Man, that was a great step in my life. That was a big step. I was real worried about walking down the aisle, but after I took the one step, I don't even remember the rest of the walk because the Holy Spirit helped me with that. I remember kneeling in an altar that night and telling God, Lord, you can have my life. An old country preacher from the hills of West Virginia came up to me after the meeting that night out in the lobby of the church. He put his arm around me and he said, so God's called you to preach. And I said, yes, sir. He said, great. Get your first sermon together. You're going to preach next week in a cottage prayer meeting. And I remember saying, wait a minute. Let's talk about this thing for a second. And I'll never forget what the man said to me. He's in heaven now. He looked me in the face and he got real serious, and this is what he said. He said, young man, if you don't start serving God now, you probably never will. And he was right. I want to look every one of you in the face tonight and tell you something. I'm not talking to you about preaching or being a missionary. God will have talked to you about that. If that's what God wants for your life, you've got to take that up with him. But I want to say to every person gathered in this camp tonight that if you don't start living for Christ and following Christ and believing Christ and obeying Christ in the early days of your life, the chances are you're probably never going to do that. You see, at this moment, you have the greatest opportunity you could ever possibly have. And sometimes we preachers make it sound like this. Hey, be careful now, be careful, because you're, build, you're laying the foundation now. You're going to build on the rest of your life. Let's back it up just a second. What if you don't live to be an old person? Like, what if Jesus comes when you're 21? I know everybody wants the Lord to wait till you get married, and I get it. Everybody wants to get their driver's license. And let me just say this. If Jesus shows up, I promise you, you're not going to be disappointed. Well, I understand. I, I went through those same emotions and thoughts as a young person. You're always setting goals and hoping for things. Then you finally get to my age and, and you don't want any more time to, to dissipate, you know. But the reality is you may not live to be old. You could die. Jesus may come. I want to say to you tonight that the early days of your life are not just a foundation for your future. Look at me, please. They are God's present tense work in your life now. Don't miss what's right in front of you. 
See, our God is not a past tense God or a future tense God. When Moses said, what's your name? He didn't say, my name is the I was or the I will be. He said, my name is I what? Am. Let me tell you why. Because God is right now at work. God's not in time, time's in God. He's the eternal God. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows you better than you know you. And at this very present tense hour in your life, he's got something for you. As I've been meditating on the life of Samson, something dawned on me. How did I miss this all these years? I immediately went to Samson's strength and what he did and what he didn't do. The story doesn't start with Samson. Nobody's story starts with them. The story starts with God. As a matter of fact, in Judges chapter 13, you know what you have? You've got a young man that God's been really good to. Look at me, please, in the eye. God's been really good to you, too. You want to see how bad your sin is? Look at it against the goodness of God. That's why Romans says, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. See, you don't fully appreciate how awful your, your wickedness and your rebellion and your stubbornness is until you compare it to how wonderful and merciful and kind and loving our good God has been to us. And God gave Samson a number of things that he's given to you. Samson is not a guy with nice hair. That's not what he is. And he's not a guy who's buff and he can, he can bench press more than anybody else. That's not his story. Samson's life is a life that had God on it. And by the way, that's the great thing about any life. It's the presence of God. I want you to make a list of the things that God gave him here in the early days. Number one, would you look in verse number three, God gave him life. Let's just start with the most obvious, the most basic thing. God gave you life. <clears throat> you're breathing. You're alive. We had a pocket of air over the Pacific Ocean out in the middle of nowhere. You know, they give you those little screens that let you chart the plane so you can see exactly where it is. I don't like it at all. Especially when you get out over the ocean, there's nothing beneath you. We had a pocket of air, the plane's doing this, and for just a split second, you want to talk about fear, for just a split second I had this thought, what if this plane went down here? The truth of the matter is, any one of us could have died today. But you didn't. Take a breath, would you please, everybody? Isn't that nice? Take another one, would you? Beats the alternative, right? You're alive. Can I tell you why you're alive? You're alive because God gave you life and God has sustained your life to this point. The Bible says that in him we live and move and have our very being. God holds your life in the palm of his hand. Notice when it started, look in verse number three. The Bible says, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. It's my conviction that life begins with conception. That's why abortion is so heinous and wicked and awful. Because look, please, it's not a fetus, it's a person. It's not a blob of material. It is a living, breathing personality created and sustained by Almighty God. And I want to say to you, it is God who has given you life and lets you live to this moment. We take a lot for granted. I called my friend today. He found out this week he has leukemia. When he answered the phone, he was cheerful. And he said to me, God's at work in this. That helped my faith. It helped me to hear his faith. By the way, some of you, you're struggling with something right now and you're dealing with something. It may be health or it may be financial or maybe family. Everybody's got something to deal with. We're going to talk more about that tomorrow. Let me tell you something. You can trust God because he is the God of all living things. And he's got his eye on you. And he loves you with an everlasting love. And so it brings us to the second truth. Oh, please don't miss this. He not only gave Samson life, he gave Samson purpose. Look at verse number five. Lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. God said, I'm going to set him apart to myself. Only three people by name given to us in Scripture as Nazarites. Samuel, John the Baptist, and Samson. 
Some people took Nazarite vows for a period of time. Those men were called Nazarites all of their life. This is very interesting to me. God wanted Samson from the time he was born. Look at me, please. God doesn't want part of your life. He wants all of your life. God doesn't deserve the leftovers. He deserves the first fruits, the best. Not what you've kept for him after you've spent what you wanted on yourself. This is powerful. Why did God want Samson to be a Nazarite? All of my life, I've heard the story of Samson, and every time I hear it preached or taught, it's always about the rules. But I want to tell you, that's not the story. The rules were secondary. The the rules were peripheral. The rules had a reason, but it was bigger than the rules. Look at the verse. He said, Nazarite unto who? It's about a relationship. You know how some of you are so miserable? Because you've reduced your entire Christianity down to a list of rules. And if you do these five things every day, you're a good Christian. And if you don't do these 12 things every day, you're a good Christian. Listen to me, please. That's not what God's about. God's about having a personal relationship with you. By the way, when you have God in his rightful place in your life, guess what? He'll bring the right stuff in and he'll push the wrong stuff out because he's a holy God. It's pretty sad to me, really, that Samson had reduced his whole life down to the rules. And as long as he didn't cut, cut his hair, everything was okay. That's the way he lived his life. Some of you, 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 you've given up so many things, but there's this one line you haven't crossed and you think, as long as I don't cross that, I'll be all right. Listen to me. God is interested in every part of your life. His purpose is bigger than a list of rules. His purpose is he wants you for himself. Numbers chapter 6, we may even look at it this week describes this Nazarite vow. There actually were were three different parts to it. But watch this, please. It was more than the parts. It was a principle. And the principle was, Samson, I got something for you. And I don't want you to miss it. I was thinking the other day, why did God make Samson be a Nazarite? I think that's a legitimate question. Like, he didn't choose that for everybody. David didn't have to be a Nazarite, so why did Samson? You know what I think? Samson's personality was reckless. Read his story. Read the four chapters. I mean, he's he's a wild man. He does things nobody else does. Watch this, please. And God knew that that kind of personality was going to need some checks and balances to keep him from crossing lines. Let me tell you something about God. God knows you. And he wants the best for your life. And some of you are wondering why he's brought certain people across your path or allowed certain things or why he's dealing about certain things. You're arguing with God. No, no, listen to me. It is for your best interest. It's not that God's trying to keep you from some fun. God's trying to keep you for himself. I wonder, have you found your purpose? The greatest day you ever live is the day you discover why you're breathing. Why you're on earth. You say, you mean to have a career? No, 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 no. You see, the purpose I'm talking about is not for time, it's for eternity. It doesn't stop when you retire or die. You meet it in eternity at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus. It's about God. Are you there? You know what this camp is about? Helping people find their God-ordained purpose. And some of you are afraid. You're controlled more by fear than you are by faith. You're afraid even sitting here listening to me talk about it right now because you're afraid God's going to do something crazy that you don't want to do. Let me tell you something. God's for you. You never have to be afraid of someone who loves you like God does. He that spared not his own son, how shall he not also freely give us all things? There have been lots of moments in my life where I was afraid. I went bungee jumping one time. That was the dumbest thing I ever did in my life. I was legitimately afraid. There are moments in life where fear crops up. By the way, Brother Mike, that was an amazing shot they had of you walking that tightrope across that ravine. I don't know how they got that, but you did awesome. It was really good. There are moments in life where fear grips you. Listen to me. Let me tell you how to get beyond that. Give yourself to God. Put your life in God's hands. He can do more with it than you can. 
God gave Samson life. He gave him purpose. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse number 5 says, Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. Think about that. Did you know God spoke the whole world into existence? We preachers, we like to be real artistic sometimes, so we say things like this. God flung the stars in space. He, he carved out the rivers with his fingers. Actually, that's not at all what he did. Read Genesis. He just spoke. That's the power of God. That's the word of God. One day, he just said light, and boom, there was light, and it was very good. But did you know there was one thing God did create with his hands? Only one. And it was man. Hey, let me ask you a question. If he spoke everything else into existence, why create man out of the dust of the ground? That's what he did. Everybody look at your neighbor. Everybody turn. Look at your neighbor. Stare at them just a second. You see the guy next to you, the girl next to you? Stare at them for a second. Somebody sat next to the wrong person. I'm sorry about that. Look at them. You know what you're looking at? You're looking at a certified ball of dirt. That's what you're looking at right now. And maybe a ball of dirt with, with nice hair or, or beautiful makeup or even nice clothes, but God made man of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. Ecclesiastes says, Sunday, that ball of dust is going back to the dust of the ground. And the spirits returning to God who gave it. But I go back to my question. Why did God speak everything into existence but make man with his hands? You know what I believe? I think from the beginning he was trying to send us a message that he always intended for man's life to be in his hand. I want to ask you a personal question. Can you honestly say your life is entirely in God's hand tonight? God gave life. God gave purpose. Oh, but that's not all. There's a third thing. Go back to Judges chapter number 13. Look at verse number 8. God gave him teachers. We actually introduced to them earlier in the chapter, but in verse number 8, his father prays. This is his daddy's name, Manoah. Look at verse 8. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, Oh, my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. He chose parents for him who were willing to be taught so they could teach. And I don't know you. I'm sorry. I don't know all of you. I want to get to know you. Some of you have parents who are at home praying for you right now. These kind of parents, praying parents. That's good. My parents are still living. I talked to my dad just a few minutes ago on the phone. Funny, the older you get, the more you appreciate certain things. He said to me, I'm praying for you tonight. It's meaningful to me. Some of you, it hadn't meant to you what it ought to mean to you. Do you understand that God has graciously chosen people to speak into your life and to influence you and invest you, invest in you for eternity to guide you to God? But I know, I know. In a crowd like this, there are young people here, you don't have those kind of parents. I mean, let's just get real for a minute. Some of you, you've grown up, one of your parents is not in the home. Maybe both not in the home. Maybe unspeakable things have happened in your home. Things that never should have been. And you say, well, I didn't have the right kind of dad. I didn't have a, a Manoah, a praying father. I didn't have a godly mother. No, no, but wait a minute. The God who sets the solitary in families made it so that no matter what your earthly family is like, everybody gets to be a part of the greatest family on earth, which is the family of God. And that's marvelous to me. That's why Titus 2 says in a church, the older men teach the younger men. And the older women teach the younger women. How about your pastor, your youth director? Somehow you got here this week. Somebody made it their business to even get you to camp. Who is that Manoah in your life? Who is that person in your life? They're interested in you. Don't you take that for granted. Every week in my life, I meet young people that would give anything to sit where you're sitting tonight. I met a girl the other night in Sydney Harbor. We were getting on a ferry, crossing the the bay, to my shame, I didn't even intend to speak to her about the Lord. She spoke to me. What do you think of that? Divine appointment, you know. I'm buying my ticket from her, and 
She says to me, she says, you're an American. I said, yes, ma'am. And uh, she said to me, I hear the accent. She said, but it's not as bad as some. I said, well, that's good. I'm glad. She said to me, what are you doing here? Why, why are you in Australia? And I said, I'm speaking for a church. I'm speaking at a young adults conference. She was a young adult. And I said, I'm speaking at a young adults conference. And immediately she piqued her interest and she started asking me questions. We started talking about life. And then we started talking about eternity. I told her the story of Arthur Stace, who was in Sydney, Australia. They called him Mr. Eternity. He wrote the word eternity in chalk all over that city while he was alive and brought thousands of people to Jesus Christ. She'd never even heard of him. She said to me, she was very respectful about it. She said, I don't mean any disrespect to you, sir. She said, but I don't know if, if Christianity really meets the needs of my generation. She said, it just seems kind of old and outdated. And I said to her, that's very interesting. You should say that because it was when I was your age that God changed my life. And I said, the reason I'm traveling is not because I want to see Sydney, though it's beautiful. The reason I'm traveling is I'm trying to tell as many young people as possible that Jesus Christ has made the difference in my life and he can make the difference in your life as well. Oh, she listened. I'm praying for salvation. May never meet her on earth again, but I sure would like to meet her in heaven someday. But here was my thought. After giving her the gospel and talking to her about the Lord, and leaving her, I'm looking back now and thinking, listen to me. What if that girl had parents that taught her about God? What if she'd had somebody that took enough interest in her to get her to a youth camp like this where they'd study the Bible, find out what the truth is in God's word? Listen to me. Don't you take for granted how good God has been to you. He's given you life. He's given you purpose. He's given you teachers. There's a fourth thing. Write it down, please. He's given you blessings. Come down to verse number 24. The woman bare the son, called his name Samson. The child grew, and the Lord blessed him. All the blessings of life. That's more than physical growth or age or height or even experience. God's been good to all of us. Let me just stop and chat with you for a moment. When was the last time you thought about how good God had been to you? And we're quick to complain when things don't go our way. Let's just be honest. We fuss. I fuss. But when was the last time you stopped and thought about how good God has been to you? Can you see? God made those eyes. Can you hear me speak right now? Well, don't take that for granted. I got a lot of dear friends. Can you speak? How many of you have eaten in the last 24 hours? Would you raise your hand? Multiple times, right? Already thinking about what you're going to eat when I stop preaching tonight. I know what you're thinking about. You're closing your back. You know what we are? We're stinking, spoiled Americans. That's what we are. Now, I just came from a very prosperous country. Australia's very prosperous. But come go with me. Come go with me to, to Ghana, West Africa. Come on. Look at the little children running over to that little motel we were staying in just begging for something and the open sewers running through the street we are blessed people to get to be in a camp like this I mean like who gets to do this this would be the dream of somebody's whole life to do it one time and we do this kind of thing over and over and over again and take for granted the goodness of God. Every good and every perfect gift cometh down from above from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness neither the shadow of turning. Listen to me. This world is bad and it's always changing but our good God never changes. He's been good to you. You had mercy when you got up this morning, whether you realized it or not. Yes. Grace. I'm thinking right now, physically I'm a little tired, but honestly, at this moment, the Lord is energizing me and helping me and giving me strength. Where does that come from? That's not, that's not me. That's the Lord. And I give him praise and glory for it. What a wonderful Savior I serve. 
I wish everybody could know Jesus. I wish the whole world knew how wonderful Jesus is. Can I tell you what the greatest blessing is? The greatest blessing is not material, it's spiritual. The greatest blessing is the blessing of his presence. That he is with you now. Oh, wait a minute, it gets better, gets better, and someday you get to go be with him forever. The path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more under the perfect day. Hey, you can't beat salvation. Jesus comes to live in your house now, and you go to live in his house for all eternity. What a savior we have. When I was serving at Crown College, I was speaking in chapel one day. I didn't even make an appeal for this. Didn't even make an appeal for it. I preached a simple message from the Psalms one day on the mercy of God enduring forever. One of the young men in the college came under conviction. He didn't come forward. He went back to his dorm room, got down on his face in his room, said to the Lord, Lord, I've never given you my whole life. I'm going to give it to you right now. He came to me and he said, I got such a glimpse of the mercy of God that suddenly I realized, wait a minute, I owe him everything. And listen to me, please. That's what it means when it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Jesus is worthy. Let me give you one final thing. In the early days, he not only gave him life and purpose and teachers and blessing, but oh, here's the great one. It's not last because it's least. It's last because it's the, it's the climax. It's the mountaintop. There's nothing greater. Look please at verse 24. And, praise God for the and. And the spirit of the Lord began to move him at times. God gave him his spirit. In the Old Testament, it was different than in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon men and departed from men. This is wonderful. But since the day of Pentecost, everybody that gets saved gets the Holy Spirit. How many of you are glad about that? You don't have to search for him. He sought you out. 37 years ago, I trusted Jesus as my Savior. It wasn't a preacher that led me to Jesus. It was a lady that led me to Jesus. She took a Bible and told me that God loved me and Christ wanted to be my Savior. That was a great day in my life. Greatest day I've ever lived at this point. Oh, that's going to be any better today I see Jesus face to face, and that's only going to be possible because the day I met him by faith. It was a good day. Now, I was only five at the time, so I didn't have a lot of deep theological understanding. I didn't understand what I'm about to explain to you right now, but it happened nevertheless because when you get Jesus, you get it all. On the day that I got saved, the Holy Spirit came to live in my house. How many of you know you're saved? Did you raise your hand? Then the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And listen to me, he doesn't rent, he buys. And he doesn't move in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. No, no, he moves in to stay. And when he moves in, for the record, he brings his own furniture. He doesn't want your old couch and all your nastiness. He moves all that out because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now watch this, please. You get the Holy Spirit on the day you get saved. But there are moments. In the words of Scripture, there are times when the Holy Spirit begins to move on your life. First time you ever find the Holy Spirit is in Genesis 1. You know what he's doing? He's on the move. He's moving on the face of the waters. It's dark out there. It's all right. He's moving. It's empty out there. It's all right. He's moving. There's no order out there. It's okay. He's moving. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit can move in where there's darkness, emptiness, and chaos and bring light and fullness and order and beauty out of all of that? There are moments like this moment. See, the Holy Spirit's here right now. So I don't see him or feel him. Well, he's a real person. He is God, and he's here. In fact, I'm not the preacher this week. I just work for the preacher. The Holy Spirit's the real preacher. He says what I can't say. 
I can talk to your ears, but the Holy Ghost speaks to your heart, and there are moments when God begins moving on your heart, and maybe you don't even always recognize exactly what it is. There's a tug on the inside, and you know it's different, and you wonder, what is that? Well, maybe maybe the preacher's got me all stirred up. Oh, no, the Holy Spirit is moving and stirring in you. Oh, Samson! You got a great mother and you got a great dad and, and you got great opportunity and you've been taught much, but the greatest thing you have is God on your life. Now I'm looking across this congregation tonight. There are beautiful young ladies here. Remind me, of my daughters, they're young men full of strength. There are ball players here, there are musicians here. There are gifted minds among us. But I want to tell you something, the greatest thing in anybody's life is not you, it's Jesus. It's the Spirit of God at work in you. And here's what's real dangerous. Are you listening? Are you listening? It's real dangerous when the Spirit of God begins to move you at times and you don't recognize it's him. We're coming to this tomorrow, but Samson started taking it for granted. He just thought it'd always be that way. See, some of you, God's been after you about something. You've been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and putting it off because you think it'll always be like this. Listen to me now. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. When the Spirit of God is moving, you need to move. When the Spirit of God is speaking, you, you need to respond. This past week, we had a lot of good meetings, but something it was unusual Thursday night. Very unusual. I didn't even preach on it. <laughs> That's when you know it's the Holy Spirit, you know. I finished preaching, but there was a holy hush. Australians are a little more reserved than we Americans. They don't always come forward and invitations and that kind of thing. But the Lord was among us. And I said, who among us doesn't know the Lord as their Savior? Immediately I saw her hand go up. I'd watched her all day long. She was a girl from the Netherlands. She was backpacking through Australia with a friend and someone invited her to the meeting. Is that a divine appointment? And all day long I watched her. She just sat there in the sessions unhappy. She raised her hand, and when I looked down at her, she's weeping. She lifted her head and looked at me, and I said, would you like to know Jesus? And She bowed her head and trusted Christ as her Savior. It's wonderful. The Spirit of God was moving, you see. Before I went on with my invitation, I said, it may be that there are some young people here. Now, remember, I wasn't talking to just teenagers. They were mostly college-age and single adults, a little older than you. And I said, there may be some young men and women here who believe in their heart that God is leading them to give their life, to offer themselves to minister, to serve the Lord in some full-time way, and you've never said yes to the Lord, but you want to do that tonight. If that's you, stand up. I didn't make it easy on them. 14 young single adults, young men and women stood up all over that place. I wish you could have seen it. Suddenly all over the auditorium, people were weeping. Couldn't explain it. No preacher can work that up. Matter of fact, I just tried to get out of the way and be still and be quiet, let the Lord work. People praying, people talking to one another about what God was doing in them. When I left the building late that night, they were still there. <laughs> Nobody wanted to go home. Little groups of people praying and talking. You know what that is? That's the moving of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you what we need this week. We need God to move upon our hearts. But don't you expect the Spirit of God to move on you if you're not going to believe him and obey him. You know what Samson's name meant? It's almost comical. It meant sunshine. Can you imagine big old buff Samson? What's your name, Sonny? <laughs> Here you are, my sunshine, playing in the background as he comes down the road, you know? Somebody said, that's weird. You know what I believe? Listen to me. Listen to me, please. 
They were dark days. And when his mother held him in her arms for the first time and looked into that face, she saw all the bright promises of God. And she thought of all the light that boy's life could bring to a generation. And all the hope that was wrapped up in that boy. And he missed it. He missed it. For the handful of things we know him for, he made no lasting real impression on those Philistines. He came and went. And I say to you tonight, it is because he refused to let God be thorough with him. Will you let God be thorough with you? God has given you everything. Will you give him the early days of your life? Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. May the message you've just heard be truth that transforms your heart and life. Christ loves you and wants you to grow in his grace through salvation and sanctification. If you've never placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, we'd love to talk to you personally. Please give us a call at 318-894-9154 or shoot me an email at mherpster at southlandcamp.org. Christ has promised eternal life and a life worth living if you will only believe in him. May the Lord bless you in your pursuit of Christ-like living. Tune in next time right here for another message on the Southland Podcast.